Finding the right cleat can be transformative. Believe me, I've worn plenty during my career. So getting the right balance is crucial. The cleat needs to feel good on your foot, but also feel good connecting with the ball. The New Balance Furon 7 Plus is built with both of those points in mind, offering overall comfort and precise striking in the game's fastest moments. Because, as I learned the hard way, because I didn't possess much of it, speed matters in soccer. That's why the Furon 7 Plus is built for accuracy and precision at rapid pace and is engineered specifically for use on firm ground. Why is this the ideal cleat, I hear you ask? Well, not to get too scientific, but the Furon 7 Plus offers a lightweight yet supportive hypo-knit with mesh lining upper construction and is paired with offset lacing for a truer strike of the ball, which is a long way of me saying that your game will immediately get better when these are on your feet. Learn more and purchase the Furon at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to Eric Lehigh's favorite podcast in soccer. We trust. That's a good one. I'm Jimmy T C C C C C C C C C Conrad, also known as Jim, alongside Hollywood, the Heartbreak Kid, Heath Pierce, and not Charlie Davies. And we are excited to be with you guys today. We have a lot to talk about. We got Christian Pulisic scoring in friendlies today against Monza. Apparently, he took a penalty. And that got saved, and then he followed it up and scored. I love the concentration and focus from the big man. We got his teammate, Eunice Musa, to talk about as well. Tyler Adams, is he on the move? I don't know. What's going on with Matt Turner? We're going to break that down, talk about Leo Messi and this crazy 4-4 game in League's Cup and against FC Dallas. And then we got the U.S. Women's National Team stuff to talk about as well, so it should be a hell of a show. I'm really looking forward to it. And Heath Pierce, how are you doing, buddy, before we get into anything? Well, I'm doing good uh, for anybody watching this in real time or listening to this. There's about 15 minutes left in the uh, Champions League qualifier uh, for PSV Eindhoven against Sturm Graz. I'd love to see uh, Ricardo Pepe get into this one. Didn't start, but uh, hopefully he gets a few scrap minutes. I'm um, What's the scrap? They're up, right? It's, they're up 4-1, okay. yeah. So, uh, uh, so why, not, why, not, of... why not throw them in for some scrub minutes? Yeah. I mean, we planted Ernie Stewart there for a reason, and now it's time for him to... <laughs> To, uh, like we we caused so many problems at U.S. Soccer that it forced him to go do something else, and we put him into this place, and now it's on him. You know, it's on him to get the best out of Ricardo Pepe. It is, and now we'll see if he accepts that responsibility that we're mm-hmm. giving him. Fair. I mean, they wouldn't have signed him otherwise. But yes, I'm excited to see if he gets in and how he just performs overall for the whole season. I guess we should have a prediction show one day just yeah. to see. If we can guess how well our players are going to do through the European season. Well, we can only do one because, you know, Charlie, if you give him two, he'll say he'll hedge on both ends. He will. And then, he will. We'll and then, the and then he'll say that he didn't say actually that. say yeah. that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. We know Charlie way too well. But uh, let's get into the first transfer, Heath. Right. And the first one that I want to discuss is Tyler Adams potentially making the move to Chelsea, which might seem like his only option now in the Premier League because West Ham have signed Edson Alvarez, a Mexican international from Ajax, for a pretty good price, all things considered, about $35, $40 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, They sold Declan Rice for 104 so they have some cash to splash. And I think Edson Alvarez, in some ways, and I went on some, I'm getting into the weeds here on Edson Alvarez, but I know the Hammers fans are pretty happy because he ticks a lot of boxes, maybe a little bit more defensive-minded than Alvarez, mm-hmm. and some fans seem to think that that's a better fit. And Tyler Adams would fit that mold, too. My concern, though, going to Chelsea is... A playing time question. He'd be going into a team that's pretty stacked already. And I wonder if that's the hesitation for from him personally for wanting to go. Because I don't think he'd be the out-and-out guy like he ended up being with Leeds. Yeah, it's hard, you know. Like, uh, right now, Jimmy, put yourself in Tyler Adams' shoes, right? Do you believe if you're Tyler Adams, you're not good enough to play at Chelsea? Uh, you ne- you don't really let that into your mind, right? Like in terms of being a starter. Yeah, true. You're true. saying this is the next step, and I'm going to go improve myself at right. that level. We obviously right. know 
you know, there is a, there is a Delta between what we've seen of him so far. And, and, and again, what I think uh, is going to be required to be at a, 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 a club, the size of Chelsea, having said that Chelsea are not the size of Chelsea that we expected of Chelsea. Um, and so um, I don't think he's there yet, but the reason I say, think about it through his lens is that that's a really hard thing to be like, you know what? I'm going to stay in the championship because, <laughs> you know, uh, I don't think I'll get the playing time that I want at Chelsea. You're like, no, I'm going to Chelsea and I'll figure the rest out later. Now they're trying to track and maybe even purchase Moises Caicedo. I think they're trying to steal every single player that Brighton ever develops and, and, uh, and any manager that that Brighton tries to develop yeah. too, so I'm surprised that Roberto De Cherby isn't uh, on their list after Mauricio Pochettino eventually gets sacked from the Blues. But what's interesting is you got Enzo Fernandez, who doesn't do the same things that that Tyler Adams does, who's an absolute enforcer. But when you think about them losing Mateo Kovacic uh, to Man City and Angola Conte to Saudi Arabia, there seems to be room for him to get in there and and to really break things up and to be someone that I think they would end up valuing. And I, I love that point because if he is him, if he is him, I love that sentence. Mm -hmm. If, if, if he's the player that you're talking about that really wants to come in and, and say, I can, I can win this job. And we know that he has that mentality already. He's already shown it in multiple locations and with the national team. Like I can be this person you can trust. I wonder how long it would take him to win over Pochettino and everybody else. Sure. Obviously you're purchasing him. So you, you know that he's got something that you value. Mm -hmm. But but to go there and actually execute and step up and be the the glue, I think he could do it. I actually can envision a world where Tyler Adams is the guy that's keeping Chelsea's midfield together and protecting that back four. I wonder if he's ready for that. And and I'm hopeful that Todd Bowley and the ownership for Chelsea, they haven't shown this yet, but that they're going to at some point be content with the players that they have. They're going to allow that to actually flourish and build instead of just continuing to buy players and buy players and buy players and never allowing the team and the manager to establish a rhythm, you know? And I think that lack of harmony was clearly on display for Chelsea last season. And so uh, not to say he didn't come from some chaos at Leeds as, as well. And that's just the nature of it is, but, but Chelsea seems to have enough talent to be like, okay, we're good. Let's let everything just marinate and grow. And if he's a part of that, that could be really special. I could see him at Chelsea for, you know, five, six, seven years, which would be pretty intense. But, um, yeah, I mean, my 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 issue. My, the upside is that they they've gone in and they've got a lot of young players, right? They've got Andre right, Santos, right. they've got Enzo Fernandez, Connor Gallagher plays in the midfield. That's the upside is you're amongst your peers, I think, which is feels maybe a little more equal footing than than like coming in and thinking that you're going to knock off, you know, one of the veterans um, that have been at the club that long that have the experience and tough times that they're always going to go with. Having said that, they have a lot of young good players uh, in the midfield at at Chelsea, so. That's a situation where you have to be able to come in and compete. When I think about Enzo and others, you know, Tyler Adams is, is only going to be as good as the midfield you put around him, right? He's never going to sure, make the sure. game for you. He's never going to be that one, but he's going to be the engine room. He's going to be the one that helps in the press. That's going to be the one that gets you the, the chance to win the ball higher up the field that tracks back in, in, in a vulnerable situation. All of those little details that you need from a, from a number six, not going to necessarily play through the lines or, or make the build up game. He's got a decent range of passing, but if you put, a midfield two or three around him, then of course I think he can do uh, a, a fantastic job. But obviously once you get to that level, there's right. there, it's like you start to look at that list of like, okay, holding midfielder has to have 50 tools, right? That are going to do things for us or call it 10 to, for simplicity's sake. Does Tyler Adams have enough of them now to be able to earn enough respect and and, and time on the field to, to be that guy? I'm not sure if it's now or if in the next couple of years you see sort of that rise or you see him hit that ceiling. Yeah, I think the young players are still relatively unproven. So I think he could go in there at the tender age of 25 and put his yeah. mark on that. Plus, I think this guy's got the intangibles in spades. He's got presence. He's got gravitas. He's a leader. He he wants responsibility. And it's fun to play with those types of players. You and I have both done it. And when you're around someone that has that type of mentality, it makes the game easier for everybody around them because they're willing to do the dirty work. Uh, I, I I can't say enough about those types of players. Plus, you need you need some balance, right? We 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 talk a lot about management and building teams, and having someone like him that's so good at what he does. Now, what I love about Angola Conte, just as a compare and contrast, Angola Conte, when you started to watch him play a little bit more, maybe in, at Leicester City when they won the league, he did less of this in terms of the transition game. He did some, 
but he really sat in that holding midfield spot and made the game easier for everybody else. I don't remember him making the same types of runs. When he came to Chelsea, he seemed to be asked to do a little bit more, almost play more of an eight than a six. And he could do it, whereas I don't think Tyler could could transition into that. And I thought that N'Golo Conte, that's what really made him special because he had that in his bag. But I do think there's some value, and I think he would be a nice contrast to some of the other players around him, maybe some of the luxury players, as we like to say. I do want to go, before we move on to, to the next one, Matt Turner, I do want to say that Tyler Adams only having a 20 million pound release clause in his contract is absolutely criminal. What was Leeds doing? Only 20 million to to unlock that guy to go. Maybe maybe it was only 20 million because they got relegated and maybe it would have been more if they'd stayed in the Premier League, but still 20 million is pretty criminal uh to allow a player of his quality just to almost walk away not for free, but it, it almost feels like it given today's market heath. Yeah, how much how much did they pay for him? <clears throat> I can't remember now, but um Either way, it Keep it's a really it's a really low number to let him go, but it's essentially why you create those clauses, right? It, it needs to be a win-win for both the club and him. What you don't want is him to stick around and lose value over time if they get relegated. And I'm assuming they didn't think they would get relegated, right? So it's you 20 million. They yeah. they were both around. Yeah, it's around the same value. So, what they paid for him. So uh, all in all, not a bad not a bad business deal obviously the market is out of control when you look at who he would play next to and Enzo Fernandez 110 million or whatever he went for um to to Chelsea it's a completely different category but you know uh it's good negotiating to to get that clause in there and obviously 20 million probably would have felt like a lot if Tyler Adams spent the entire season injured or on the bench or whatever right so you look at it now and you're like eh, you know maybe there's give or take 10 million in there in terms of his true value um but it, it, it's it's probably the thing that sparked all the interest to say, oh yeah, we could, you know, if we you're Chelsea, that. like we could afford that on a squad player that, that you know, we're not taking a flyer on this. We're, I mean, we're not taking a huge risk. We're taking a flyer essentially, you know, um, which 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 probably increases the amount of teams, which leads me to the point that that also could get a little scary for Tyler Adams because maybe a twenty million for a Brighton or somebody else um, that could take a Tyler Adams on would be more of a strategic investment to for, for his contribution versus the Chelsea, which is like, right. there's probably not a single player at Chelsea that didn't cost 20 million, you know? Right. Um, no, that's fair. That's a good point. All right. Let's talk about Matt Turner. Apparently he has followed Nottingham Forest on Instagram, which that ooh. feels pretty official to me, Heath Pierce, that uh, his deal what's is going on. We see what's happening. Uh, Arsenal purchased him from the New England Revolution for about five and a half million pounds. And now it looks like they're going to get around 10 or seven and a half with add-ons from Nottingham Forest. So a little bit of business there from Arsenal. Now, Matt Turner's 29. Ethan Horvath actually is still at Nottingham Forest and has been starting their friendlies recently. So this whole thing feels a little interesting from a U.S. men's national team goalkeeper perspective. But let's just talk about Matt Turner first, Heath, and Ethan Horvath second to this. With regard to Matt, wasn't going to play. But then you see that they're going to buy David Raya as their backup from Brentford, who is an excellent goalkeeper. And I, I assume maybe they just thought that Raya could <laughs> could push Ramsdale a little bit more. I, I'm curious about the whole Arsenal perspective on this and what this means for Ramsdale in particular. But obviously you want competition in every spot. And it makes me wonder that they must not have seen Matt Turner as a viable competitor to Ramsdale. And... Uh, that bums me out. There seems to be some subtweeting slash underlying sentiments that are, you know, if I'm reading between the lines. But for Matt Turner, going to Nottingham Forest, obviously they're a club that, that like to spend, want to compete, did enough to survive last year. And he's still in the Premier League and I think will compete for the number one job. They're still trying to work out a, an agreement with Dean Henderson, which means that number one spot isn't solidified. But what, what are your thoughts on Matt Turner? Yeah, I think he's got to go somewhere where he can compete. That's a, a decent club. Again, it's a chaotic club in terms of the infrastructure with the ownership group and and, and whatnot. But that survival is is a huge one that hopefully hopefully propels them into, you know, spending the right funds to 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 make them competitive in the league at least to be safer earlier on in the season. Um, but yeah, I, I don't see anything against it. It, it. It's clear that his future was not going to be at Arsenal if you look from an ambition standpoint, right? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. If he was willing to accept that, hey, there's a chance you don't go to 2026 World Cup if you spend the next two years That's at Arsenal. Um, you've got to do something now to cement yourself as the one um, for or continue to cement yourself as the one for the U.S. men's national team. And then also just your personal development, right? Like uh, you don't leave a, 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 as a 
as a failure for for Arsenal. We all saw the Arsenal move as like a ridiculously large jump, and he's obviously built a solid reputation there. So, um, you know, him moving on, I think, could be a, a is a really important thing for him. Uh, but for goalkeepers, that's the hard part, right? When you're you're proven but unproven, you know, at that level. You're going to have to go somewhere where you're going to compete and win out that starting job. Now, Kai, one of the long-serving members of the trust fund, says, uh, what's up, Kai? I appreciate your support. They're saying Forrest are still trying to buy Dean Henderson. Why would Turner go to Forrest to be the number two keeper? I think there's some elements, some similarities to Tyler Adams. Clearly, he'd be walking into a team that would be competitive in every area of the field, and I think that's what you want, but I agree that to be number two somewhere else, Heath, would be pretty disappointing for Matt Turner for a lot of different reasons. So why wouldn't he go to a more clear-cut club? Now, I'm sure Arsenal wanted to regain some value or at least break even on their deal, and I know they've made a little bit more than that. So, yeah, it's interesting. It's really interesting. Um, Sky Sports, what's up, Travis? Says Turner will be number two to Dean Henderson. He had to have known that that was a possibility going in. I wonder if that, that was the only Premier League team that was really knocking on the door. And and if that's the case, then being number two to Dean Henderson is not going to be the best look for Matt Turner either. However, what I've learned about Matt Turner over the years, and remember, he was number two to Zach Steffen <laughs> for a long time, in the, especially in the U.S. Don't you remember his school. initial story where like he was just like he was training on the sideline at at uh, New England when he first got there, like literally training on the sideline and got his opportunity. Like it is a pretty unique story in terms of like taking your chances and making the most of them. I agree 100%. So I've got a lot of faith in Matt Turner to be a steady presence, whether Dean Henderson is there or not. But yeah, it's probably not the ideal situation. I think we'd all like to see him go, whether it's in the Premier League or somewhere else, to be the number one guy, the out-and-out number one guy, where there's they're going to ride or die with him making mistakes. It's not, okay, if Matt Turner makes a mistake, well, let's just bring in Dean Henderson. He had his opportunity, and we're going to move him along moving forward. So we'll have to wait and see how that all plays out, of course. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, cautiously, constant, opt- cautiously right? optimistic. Dean, Dean Henderson has the, has the link. Who knows if that will actually happen? Casper Schmeichel has the link. Um, I'm hoping that this is the solution of like a multiple parties, um, you know, being interested in this job and uh, that like they were going to go with the option that's their best option and then leave it, you know? Um, right. I hope so. Right. Anyway, if you're Matt Turner, you're not, you kind of go, oh, why would I leave here if, if the situation doesn't get any better? at another yeah. club. So I, I, I would think that there has to be something more to it. Yeah, Arsenal might be uh, trying to compete for the Premier League. So that would be a cool experience, I think, as opposed to fighting relegation with not in a forest. But we'll see if Forrest can get it together in year two in the Premier League. Well, speaking of Forrest, there's another American goalkeeper there, Ethan Horvath. 28 years old, so only one year younger than Matt Turner. He played 51 times for Luton Town last season. He had 20 clean sheets. They were... Uh, they, they won promotion to the Premier League in that playoff at Wembley, beating Coventry uh, on penalties six to five. I don't know, Heath. I felt like after he had done that and got Luton Town promoted, that he just would be the natural successor or just to keep him there. I know he's on loan from Forrest, but just to keep him around, and I don't think it was going to be for that much. Apparently, there was a fee of around 1.5 million pounds. To, to sign him permanently from Forrest if they reach the top flight. And here's what the coach said from uh, from Lutontown about it. Coach uh, Rob Edwards said this, and I was like, what? He, uh, he said, I love him to bits and thank him for everything he did for the football club. But we just felt, and I just felt in the end, that I wanted to go in a different direction. <laughs> <laughs> and then he added, we've got to be forever thankful for what he did and how he helped us get to where we are. I mean... We just felt, and I just felt in the end, that I wanted to go in a different that's, direction. That's how I that's, imagine Bob Bradley would have answered why I didn't go to the World Cup. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, he did some good things, and he really helped us along the way. But ultimately, in the end, ah, it just wasn't the right fit for me. You know, like that's uh, it, you're just like, but what about the things that I did? You know, but there's no love lost in this game, and that's just the reality of it. When you think about, okay, you know we needed the people that could get us there, but to stay here now, you know, maybe we need something, somebody different, better with their feet or That's better harsh. in certain ways. It is yeah, I get super it. harsh, it but really harsh. Like you could, okay. Um, I wouldn't you just out of, out of respect for what he did for the club. Hey, you want to be the number two? You know, we, we have, we have eyes on a different number one or someone's, we're going to bring in someone to compete with you. And, and we're leaning towards that player being the number one. Yeah. 
But but hey, we, we, while you're we getting us here, we are shopping for somebody better than you. You know, well, we yeah, appreciate well, everything you're doing. By the way, if we go up, great. Um, but just so you know, you know, <laughs> we, we found your replacement <laughs> you, already. Wouldn't, wouldn't, uh, wouldn't it? Wouldn't have been amazing if that manager was like, "Hey, you kind of like, you kind of like the Heath Pierce." of the bob bradley years <laughs> yeah <laughs> and and we think you're good enough at, at this certain level but to make that jump we just don't see it you know and yeah. uh yeah that's yeah that's we're harsh gonna, we're gonna use you because like kind of all we got but like ultimately <laughs> in the end we think there's better out there better value out there i mean it's just the reality unfortunately of of, of being in that situation that you know um for whatever reason they just didn't see because with a goalkeeper it's pretty you know, there's some gut in there, but it's also the ability yeah. to, to to make the plays. And he clearly made the plays. But, you know, I just wonder if there was gaps throughout the season when they were like, oh, yeah, this guy made it like it increasingly close calls um, for us that this could have been our journey to the Premier League could have been easier in our, you know, 4000 seat stadium and and whatever. <laughs> uh, and, and we're going to blame this guy. All right, we're going to take our first break of In Soccer We Trust. When we come back, we'll touch quickly upon Fuller and Balogun, Yunus Musa making it official, and Conrad De La Fuente popping up out of nowhere. So, And then, of course, we'll get into League's Cup. So don't go anywhere. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to In Soccer We Trust. I'm Jimmy Conrad alongside Heath Pierce, and we're breaking it all down for you. We appreciate your support as always. Trust funds. Absolutely love it. All right, let's talk a little Fuller and Balogun, Heath Pierce, because Arsenal apparently has rejected a bid of around $30 million for the striker that they seem to refuse to play but have this crazy number on his head. Reportedly, $50 million is the asking price from the Gunners. Uh, Inter, Milan is interested in getting there. Uh, director, sporting director of Inter, uh, Acilio, said Balogun is one of the opportunities, but not the only one they're tracking. Apparently, they're also looking at 31-year-old Porto striker, Iranian international, Mediterranean. Uh, Arteta went to say, the, the plans with Flo don't change at all, but unfortunately with Gabby, uh, Gabriel Jesus, injured, we're not, gonna, we're not going to have him. We have other options to play with different qualities of players, and we will adapt. Uh, so I guess the question is, how damaging would it be for Balogun if he stays at Arsenal, but is it really seen as a viable option to help them? Again, we have another American in an opportunity, or if, let's say Tyler Adams goes to Chelsea and Matt Turner goes to Nottingham Forest, well, they're just going to have to fight and compete yeah. to, to earn their minutes in, in a way that maybe some of the other players don't have to do. Like They're going to have the luxury of Arteta or whoever manager giving them, oh, we trust this player, This other, but the the Americans, you know, we always have to seem to scrape and fight to, to earn that respect. And that's fine. I mean, I, I think that's in our DNA a little bit. But Balogun, I think I'd love to see him at Inter, all things considered. It seems like they want him there, and there's always a good feeling. Not to say that Arsenal doesn't, but I don't know. What are your thoughts on this as our, as our resident Gooners fan, which which actually I, Charlie is too? I, I, I think that Arsenal have shown their ambition. They've spent a lot of money. And if you have some surplus or somebody that's going to get you through the first few weeks of the season as a substitute um, until Gabriel Jesus is back as 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 your starter, I, I think it's better to just take the cash option. You haven't had much contact with this guy in a while. He's still young, a little bit unproven, and I don't think that they trust him. We all see the quality, uh, but we look through a very specific lens, right? Not the same lens that a Mikel Arteta is going to look through trying to right. win the Premier League. Um, that it seems like apparently there's maybe a 10 million delta between what I think Inter can pay and what, what uh, they want for Balogun. But I feel like maybe they're somewhere um, as you squeeze out the, the, the final days of, of the transfer window to be able to get him that move. I, I, I do think that I think ideally he could do well with his 
his minutes, but when I think about like an Inketia or other players where you just like, you, you're always left wanting more, right? It's just like, oh, I'd love to see him as a starter. Then they get one start and you're like, oh, I didn't really see much of the start. And then they go back to those squad minutes where the game's a little bit more open. And I wouldn't mind that for one season for, for Balogun, just because again, he's coming off of one single professional season of doing well, but I'd love to see him make a move before that. You know? It just, I, I would be antsy if I was him yeah. and okay, do you want me here? Do you want not want me here? It's just based on injury. It just feels he's in this purgatory of of not really being considered as a viable option, but then they have this crazy price asking price for him. Yeah, I'd be I'd be honestly, I'd be frustrated. And and to your point about the one season, the guy's itching to play. And, and he obviously when he played for the US and the Nations League, you could see his quality and something we've been desperately seeking in that position for a long time. If I, I don't know, and let's say it would be a step back to stay at Arsenal. Arsenal's an incredibly talented team and, and are going to be pushing for trophies this year. But I don't know. He, I think he wants to be the key guy. I think he showed and demonstrated in a, in a difficult league to score goals on a team that isn't going to, well, at least I should say difficult in terms of the supporting cast that he had around him to try to score as many goals as he did was very impressive. He wants to be the guy, Heath, just like Matt Turner wants to be the guy. And all these guys want to be trusted with that responsibility. And to stifle that for one year sucks. I'm just going to say it. It just sucks. All right. Yeah. Let's go to Yunus Musa. He made his signing official with AC Milan. So excited to see where Stefano Pioli, the manager, lines him up. And we've had this discussion before. But really, the part of it that I think is awesome is the dude decided to wear the number 80 jersey. The last time someone at AC Milan wore the number 80 jersey, it was Ronaldinho. Mm -hmm. And I've got plenty of time for Yunus Musa going, I want to wear that number. Because I love Ronaldinho, who is the player that he admired growing up the most. And and I I, I love the confidence that comes with that. We I have know distinct, he's not Ronaldinho, distinct, but I love him. I have, but I, I have distinct memories of Ronaldo in the 80, right? And I didn't I never knew why, but I just thought it was cool because you expect them to be in a, in the 10, you know, attacking players in the 11, 10, 9, 7, you know, even an 8. But to go with the 80, I was just like, that's kind of cool. I remember thinking about that. And especially mine was more through the lens of, you know, um, wide receivers um, wearing wearing the number 80 um, and things like that. So I had like this connection to it. But I love the fact that he went down that route. Yeah, it's incredible. And the more I get to know Yunus Musa, now I use that as a very general <laughs> statement. But these little decisions that he's making really demonstrate the confidence a quiet confidence. I don't think he's out there being loud or whatever it may be. We've, we've seen players that, that come in and, and try to get ahead of themselves with this, this flamboyance. Flamboyant sounds dramatic as well. But you know what I mean? They're just as larger-than-life personality. I only feel like Zlatan Ibrahimovic can yeah. maybe pull it off completely. But Yunus is coming in like, I, I know I can be this guy for you. I'm, I'm excited to be here. And and I'm I'm excited to see how he plays. I, I think it's so gets... cool, man. I love that. I love the 80 of just being inspired by like not trying to compare yourself to, but being inspired. Like my hero wore this, a guy that I looked up to, and I want to wear that. Like it's available. Yeah, what right, an amazing right. thing! Like no one can take that from you that you shared the same number. That's an eccentric number as Ronaldinho. Um, shout out Jerry Rice for wearing the 80 as well. Go on, <laughs> Jerry Rice. What a throwback and what a player he was. Uh, so good at the fundamentals and obviously yeah. Uh, yeah. good at everything else too. Now, Moose is only 21 years old. He played 108 games with Valencia over the last three years. He's got 24 caps with the national team and had started in a World Cup. So he's got plenty of experience and I think he's going to do very well in front of the Milanistas that are out there. I think for those that are, that are uh, if you remember Franck Kessier who played for Milan, I think he could maybe fill a similar role, you know, and, and they really loved him. Um, before he ended up leaving and joining Barcelona. Though I think Kessier is going to Saudi Arabia now. All right, let's talk very quickly about Conrad de la Fuente. My namesake, Heath Pierce, yeah. <laughs> Jimmy yep. Conrad de la Fuente, de la Fuente. Yeah. Has, has resurfaced. And apparently he is going to Spain to play for Ibar or Abar. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, he's on the move. Now, Fabrizio Romano commented on it. So I guess... That means this is one we should be paying attention to. But De La Fuente has been out of the player pool. We're really not like an afterthought at this point. I wonder, because of his youth experience and playing with Barcelona and coming through all that and, and go, obviously going to Marseille, if he can somehow resurrect his career by going back to Spain, 
what do you say on Conrad De La Fuente? Uh, I mean, unfortunately, I'm I'm close to giving up on his upside. I actually saw <laughs> I actually saw quite a bit. Obviously, we saw with Barcelona B some of his you know highlight reels and stuff like that. We saw a few glimpses in the national team, but you know you're talking about a, a, a guy who's still young, right? He's 22 years old, um, right. and and he just turned 22, so he's got plenty of time. But he went to Marseille in 2021. We're now at the end of 2023 or, or the middle of 2023. That is a crucial window of development, somewhat wasted in terms of playing time. That he's right. got to go somewhere and play, right? And if his if if it, I, I'm not judging him by his age or if he's anywhere near his ceiling or whatever. I think he's still got plenty of time. But when you, when you have these situations where obviously you don't get on at Barcelona, then you go to Marseille. I thought that was a really good like step back into reality. Didn't play there. Now you're going to just a, a smaller La Liga team, which I hope he can get playing time on and then become just a career player where we can actually start to monitor and analyze what the upside of him could be, right? Because right now right, you're right. Just like potential and and then like time passing right uh and right. then you see just these giant gaps and and i would love to eliminate that now with this with this it was a it's a loan right a one-year loan is that what it was or is it actual full full-on move i believe it was a i thought i read that it was a loan yeah um, I think it's a loan. but but i would love to see him establish uh himself i put him more in the category of the generation that we are in of like lots of young guys with potential that you kind of start, start to see floating around or or um um, what's his name that just went on loan to, to, to San Jose earthquakes, um, from, um, blanking on, on, on his name. From, from, <laughs> I am too. Now. I can um, see it. I can see what he looks well, like. Wearing, he wore, wore Greg's, <laughs> Greg's face on a t-shirt. Uh, somebody, somebody in the comments tell us right away. Cause I refuse to look it up now because it's embarrassing. Uh, why, why, why am I? Um, that is super funny. Matthew wow. Hoppy, there it is. Matthew Thank you, Jackie D. Uh, I should know he's a California kid. I totally I blanked know. as well. Yeah, I have I the excuse, Heath, of being super early here in Sydney, yeah. Australia. But well, uh, I have the excuse of just just not being all there, you know. Uh, so um, yeah, no, I, I I think when I when I think about about uh, Hoppy, that's one. And Rafa Cardenas obviously threw that in even even quicker. So shout out! I don't want you to not get the uh, award for that. Um, <laughs> or maybe Jackie D. No, I'm now I'm scrolling up, and they told us plenty of times. Uh, but 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 when I think about ones where you're like, yeah, this new category of player that we have that's defaulting like laterally or vertically to bigger clubs because of the quality that they have. Maybe these guys are a tier below that, and their movements like they need to establish themselves at a club for a couple of years. Uh, maybe got caught on the American hype train before actually proving something. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. Conrad De La Fuente was at Barcelona B. So it wasn't like he was just a guy who got a trial and then showed up somewhere. Um, but yeah, um, it'll be interesting to see. Hopefully he gets a, a full season of matches starting, you know? Yeah, that's, that's always the key, right? Starting being trusted injury free. We know that at times he has been injured along the way. So mm -hmm. best of luck to Conrad De La Fuente. Obviously I'm pulling for him because he's my namesake and I want that to continue and he can be a force for us. <laughs> Moving name, forward. All right, let's talk. Let's talk. So my name's like, <laughs> let, let's, uh, that's part of my new nickname now. Yeah. Jimmy Conrad De La Fuente. Uh, yeah. Jimmy of the Jimmy of the strength. Um, so let's talk about Leagues Cup. Inter Miami, as they do, continuing to find a way to move on in this competition. Went to Dallas. We're down multiple times in this game. Leo Messi does what Leo Messi is capable of. I mean, the guy's an alien. And for him to score a free kick, Heath in the 85th minute at 4-3 to make it 4-4 and they end up winning in penalties. It was pretty ridiculous. And the guy delivers. And it's 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 you think no way he's gonna do it tonight. Tonight's not gonna be the night. This is the game where the other team is just gonna be able to shut him down. And he had two goals and had an assist on a hell of a own goal, by the way. Uh, mm -hmm. uh header from Farfan Farfan at the back post. It looked like he was actually properly trying to head it in, which is super funny. <laughs> and if I was his buddy, I'd be giving him a hard time yeah. over and over and over. But we are close to the quarterfinals. So we're almost down to our final. Excuse me. We're still in the round of 16. There's only two quarterfinalists right now. That's Inter Miami will be taking on Charlotte FC. And then Queretaro is waiting for the winner of Philadelphia Union versus uh, New York Red Bulls, which kicks off in a few hours as does LAFC versus RSL. That's a really good game. Tigres Monterrey, sick as well. Toluca, Minnesota, and then Club America taking on Nashville. So this is starting to get 
Uh, uh, pretty awesome. But let's talk about this Inter Miami game because it looked like FC Dallas was there. They just shut off, and and we actually, you know, before we go go any further, let's hear from Nico Estevez, the coach of FC Dallas, and his thoughts about Messi and and just the game overall. And and hopefully, producer Alex is ready to rock on that because he's got the bracket up right now for everybody else that can't see it. But we're gonna get up. Uh, Nico Estevez and hear what he has to say. Uh, you play in a high level, the better you are. Then to have players like him here uh, will make uh, our players better. Because uh, when you have to face uh, this kind of level, you, you have to do better. And you can see FC Dallas today how uh, some of our players raise their level higher than other uh, games during this season. So it's kind of stating the obvious here, Heath. Right? I mean, I mean, it's well, not he's a talking about uh, Alan Velasco, uh, who had uh, was literally the man of the match. If it wasn't for Messi, uh, you know, the young Argentine just elevating his level like 10x um, on that one. But um, but not a yeah. surprise. I mean, this yeah, this is a big opportunity for a lot of players to play in a game where the stadium's probably feeling different than it ever has. And then on top of that, you're playing against somebody that you've looked up to or or just been in awe of for many, many years. We've had the opportunity to have a crack at Messi in our careers. And what's interesting is and there's been some commentary around how some of the players looked in awe of him while playing against him. And I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I completely subscribe to that because as a competitor, once the whistle blows, you're just trying to solve problems. And the game is moving fast enough where you don't have time to be like, dude, I can't wait to get that dude's autograph afterwards. Like, you're not yeah. really thinking about that until the whistle blows. You have to make go out there and make plays. And so I don't know. I, I'm torn. Maybe maybe there's some younger players that the, the moment was too big for them and, and they're caught up in everything else as opposed to actually going out there and executing. And, and a 4-4 scoreline maybe reflects that. <laughs> but but uh, I don't know. I'm I'm... I'm on the yeah. fence as to whether I think that's real or not. Uh, I, I don't subscribe to it either. I think, you know, maybe there are some people that were nervous, but I don't think there's this like just wanting to see messy play narrative is like, a, you know, caught up in this moment where you're just like, oh man, I'm on the field. Like, I think that's a a, 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 a silly thought. I, I, I do think some people got more, more nervous. I, I remember a few times when you, when I played against, you know, say, Oh, I just swallowed a bug. That sucked. Ugh, man. Wow. Um, but you bugs uh, in your house? I'm yeah. I, I, I not anymore. <laughs> where are you? Where are you? <laughs> where are you living these I, days, man? I, I, yeah, I know. I'm in my garage. It was like you know, fruit <laughs> fly or a gnat or something, but it's still in my throat. Um, but you know, when I played against, you know, big shout, uh, big flex here, Argentina or Brazil or Spain or or whoever, like you, you have a little bit more nerves around some guys that you're like, oh man, there's something special to these guys, right? Just the aura, the energy around them. But you still go out and you 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 try to counteract that. You try to like harness that as an energy to to to, to prove yourself. So I'm not caught up in that, but I will say that, <clears throat> man, <coughs> sorry, Messi in general. <laughs> When I think about team sports, right, in the American sort of mentality is is like, you know, you think about when you were you you're a kid, Jimmy, and you're playing small sided or you're playing basketball with friends, and you're like, you know, I'm gonna have my Michael Jordan moment, you know, I'm gonna take over this game, give him the ball, I'm gonna put up, I'm gonna put up numbers, um, and and that sort of thing. Like soccer is just too fluid and and too much of a team sport, except for the the, the very few, right? And we watched them for a decade plus in La Liga. Um, of going back to back when Messi put up four or five or you know whatever on a team and Ronaldo as well, but in this particular one, um, you just see a player that can rise to the occasion in the biggest moments. Um, not just not just be impactful like he is every time he gets the ball, but also just do things that that are impossible like odds wise, right? Um, mm -hmm. And 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 that to me is 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 ridiculous. Now again, the Farfan own goal. I mean, there's been twelve or thirteen. I think it's been twelve own goals in this tournament so far we can't give them all to, to like Messi's impact, you know, cause they had nothing to do with him and not even in, in matches that he played in actually a ridiculous one in the game that I did last night with, uh, with, uh, Houston dynamo, Jimmy, I don't know if you saw that, but you know, uh, dynamo up one nil, Steve Clark comes off his line, makes a mistake after being pretty solid in the game. They get a tap in one, one kickoff three passes backwards. Steve Clark, who's not standing center of his goal. Um, no way. Meanwhile, the Brazilian, I didn't see it. but yeah, three passes backward off the kickoff. 
Mikhail, the defender, the Brazilian defender, lays plays one straight back to to Steve Clark towards his near post. Steve Clark is wide on the wider on the other side. Blind, he blindly <laughs> passes it backwards in the goal. So they score a goal. It goes one one, and then without them touching the ball again, they get a second goal to win the game. And it was like it was it was so so we, bad for Houston, who I thought were were decent for periods. But yeah, you know Charlotte found a way to get through. But it was it's, it, wow it's the twelfth own goal of the tournament. Um, well, that's that's uh, being here in Sydney. There's been two of those goals here in the Women's World Cup as well, and it's it's heartbreaking for everybody involved when you have a back pass that goes straight into the goal. <laughs> <laughs> I found the bug. It didn't quite make it. Or found it make it oh, um, man. You missed out on an opportunity for extra yeah. protein, as uh, one of our trust funders said in the comments. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, so speaking of the Charlotte team, given that you watched them play against Houston last night, it sounds like maybe they didn't deserve the results, but here they are taking on Inter-Miami next. Do you think they have it in them to slow down Messi? I think that's that's um, you know everybody's goal, right? Is is I think we're propping up this. There's this narrative right now of like, you know, you'll get a chance to play against Messi, or you'll get a chance to play against the Miami right now to all these players. But you know how, as a player mentality, you're not thinking about like, oh, I get to grace the pitch with this like living <laughs> like like deity. You're like, yeah, that's a cool thing but I want to be the team that knocks them out. I want to be the team that ruins their run. I want to be the team that stop. I want to be the player that stops Messi on the dribble, uh, does all these things. You know, when I, when I put together my old highlight reel for, for clubs, Jimmy, back when I was playing, yeah, I included a few times that Ronaldinho tried to run past me and I stopped him or, you know, Sergio Ramos tries to overlap and get me on the dribble or Kun Aguero. Like those are the ones that I put in. Cause you're like, Oh yeah. I humanized this experience of these guys that I looked up to to show that I can compete with them. That's the mentality that they're 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 having. The matchup right now is still one-sided um towards towards Miami just because they're they're finding a like he's finding a way to elevate the quality of players who haven't been that good this year including Tata Martino right. contributing to that. Um but you know Charlotte still have some really good really good players that that can punish you. They attack with numbers in the box and where I think Charlotte are best with getting numbers in the box, winning the ball in high spots, I do think that they can score goals against against this Miami side in the same way that FC Dallas did. FC Dallas just didn't manage it well more than anything, right? Every time that Miami scored in that game, you thought, okay, um, this comeback's going to happen. But then FC Dallas had an answer, right, to continue to pad that lead and just couldn't close it out in the end. I think Charlotte um, do have the quality to, to, to score some goals against what I think is still a, a somewhat weak defense from, from Miami. Okay, so this is the question I want you to answer, Heath, and for everybody listening and or watching, hit us up at ISWTPod on Twitter or let us know in the comments right now. Leagues Cup, out of 10, where, do you, where are you rating this competition as of right now in terms of excitement, quality? You're you really liking it. Is, are you like a 7 out of 10? It, well, I don't know. Maybe I don't know where you were before it started, but, but what would you say um, you were like 5 out of 10 when it started and now you're, back, you're up at a 7? I, I, I obviously I'm here. I'm a little bit detached being all the way here in, in Sydney, Australia. So I don't get to see as much of it. it well, whose fault is that, sleeping. Jimmy? Whose fault well, is it's, that? It, it's mine, obviously. <laughs> but but um, I'm really intrigued. And I'm trying to catch as many of the highlights as I possibly can. And, and I, I can feel that there's some buzz around it. So I wanted to get your. your well, I think, uh, again, a lot think? of the buzz is is the advancement of, of Miami. That's one. I, I think, two you're starting to see the gaps of League MX teams from the worst to the best. And then you're seeing the gaps between MLS worst to the best, right? So as the competition goes on, like in any competition, you're seeing better teams come to life. You're seeing teams get better, more belief. You're seeing a little bit more of that, like almost Cinderella run type of mentality for teams where they're like, Oh yeah, we we're in this. Like we can, we can grind this out. We can like, we're, we're we can beat it. We mm -hmm, can mm -hmm. beat anybody. And so I think from that standpoint, and you look at the the way the brackets are playing out. You still have some really quality teams. Um, obviously, some games to be played today. But I think in tournament, typical tournament fashion, group stages, at least the ones that I was I was on and covering and paying attention to, not the sharpest of games. Um, I think that's again something to be addressed in terms of load management and, uh, sure, and sure, sure. making deeper squads. No problem. But as it got to the knockout rounds. Uh, it's, it's had a different feel. Um, yes, there was consequence because it's group stage and it's only two games and things like that. And you have the penalty shootout and whatever. I don't love the penalty shootout. I think it's better than playing 120 minutes and then a shootout for sure. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I think having the offset points, I think gives it some implications of every game. But, um, as we went to the knockout rounds, I, I've seen a level of intensity, even the Houston Charlotte game 
was played at a completely different pace than I think the Houston Pachuca game. Pachuca obviously had a bye to that point and, and Houston playing in that type of heat. It had a different level of speed and intensity to it, which <laughs> I like, you know. By the way, I asked uh, Heath to give me a quick answer. He gave me a Charlie answer for that and still didn't actually answer my question. We got our second and oh, only seven. I'll give it a seven now. Seven, well, I can't judge it as a whole, Jimmy. I mean, you were like, I know, yeah, I know. I just, I rated it's like on just currently. It's, it's just current right at this moment. It's it's the it's the current feeling you have. Well, obviously, we'll rate it again. It, Jimmy, at the end it's of the hard. Time. I'm stuck on, on okay, the inside easy. of the games I'm calling versus the whole it, thing. Like so. I get it. Okay, all right, Charlie seven. Davies, a resident Charlie Davies, are here, Heath Pierce. All right, we're going to take our second to last break of In Soccer We Trust. When we come back, we're going to talk about the U.S. Women's National Team and their similarities, maybe in the coaching realm, to the U.S. Men's National Team. So don't go anywhere. Welcome back to In Soccer We Trust. I'm Jimmy alongside Heath, and we're breaking it all down for you as we do. Big shout out to the Trust Fund for all their love and support over, well, it's been over a year now, huh? A year and a half we've been getting after it, Heath. So yeah, pretty like exciting. Yeah, thousand episodes. <laughs> we're setting records here. But uh, let's talk about the U.S. Women's National Team. They crashed out of the World Cup the first time they hadn't made it to at least the semifinals in the history of the competition. This is the ninth ever Women's World Cup. And we lost to Sweden, who really sent us a note early on in the Olympics back in 2021, where they beat us in the group stages 3-0. That was Vlatko Andonovsky's first big major tournament in charge of the U.S. women. And uh, we didn't do very well in that competition. We ended up getting a bronze. And it felt kind of similar to what we saw here, where did he know his best 11? Did he roll out the right team? Is he saying the right things? And you're going to probably look back on this World Cup, very similar to that, where there was more talent on display or we had more and we didn't mute, utilize it enough or, or didn't play the right players. And so really disappointing to crash out in this way. And I'll also add is that we probably should have beat Sweden. I thought we deserved to beat Sweden. Musevic, the goalkeeper for Sweden, was standing on her head making unreal saves. She is the backup at Chelsea in the WSL in England. And maybe she's going to be pushing for first team minutes after that performance. We'll see how far Sweden goes and how she continues to play. But it was the game against Portugal that we probably deserved to lose. And I know that Alyssa Nair, the goalkeeper, who was an absolute rock star in the game against Sweden and, and then penalties as well, taking one, slammed it home. And I wish goalkeepers would take more penalties. We know they practice it a lot, Heath. Mm -hmm. But uh, she stepped up and made hers when others didn't, unfortunately. And that's, that's how it goes. It's a bit of a coin flip. We had our chances. We should just finish it in, re in regulation. But she said after that, it's a game of millimeters. We got knocked out of the World Cup because of a millimeter. A millimeter. And I, I thought, well, you actually got into the knockout rounds because of a millimeter because it hit the post when Portugal had that opportunity at the end. So I don't know. Maybe the, the universe is balancing out a little bit. But my big takeaway is that in, in the conversation being had down here is that the gap is closing between the top nations and, and the ones that are emerging and getting more investment and getting more infrastructure and more professional leagues in their respective countries. I don't know if it's closing. I think it's been, I think it's starting to be leveled. He, yeah, of course, in some, some conversations, the Jamaica's and the Haiti's and the CONCACAF region. And, and we can talk about Morocco being the first Arab nation to qualify for a women's world cup and getting into the knockout rounds where they lost to France deservedly uh, last night, but, or today, wherever you're, you're listening to this, but I think the gap has been closed. And I'm very curious, Heath, as to how U.S. soccer, from a U.S. women's national team perspective, responds to this because it is as clear as it's ever been. And it, there's been signs of it along the way, but now it, you, you can't refute the evidence. And so, yeah, give me your thoughts on, on what we do moving forward because I know we have the talent, but how do you, and very similar to the men, how do we, how do we funnel that talent in the right way? How do we get them around, especially when they're younger players? The scouting, is NWSL strong enough? Are they starting to do everything? Because these other leagues around the world are getting stronger too. And we, we're seeing like a Lindsay Horan. She, she doesn't play in NWSL. She plays for Lyon in, in France and wants to play in the Champions League like a lot of these players do. And it's starting to feel very similar to the men's game. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So I, I, mean, went on a, I went on like a three-minute no, rant there. No, no. I, I think it's a few things. Let me start with this, Jimmy. People that hedged on the women not winning the World Cup, like that's not a hedge. Like three in a row is yeah, it was always yeah, always gonna possible. be difficult. Right. Yeah, yeah. 
it's about the pathway. It's about the performances. Now, if you remove that, right, the people that were like, I told you so, like, obviously, like the like the odds of that not coming true are, 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 yeah. are pretty, pretty damn good. Um, but when you look at the way in which they performed stylistically, uh, you look at some of the other nations, and, and, I, and I look at Portugal quite a bit where I just go, wow, there's a lot of technical players there. There's a lot of, like, like players with 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 an energy and a confidence and a technique that I that I really admire and and enjoyed and then you add that to the fight right I don't think the women's national team is going to win world cups on fight anymore on collective fight fighting spirit being more bigger faster stronger than everyone I think there is a different type of play that has to to to, to happen here having said that if you look at the type of players that we are producing that are young players they are creative players they are you know they do. They are big, fast, and strong, but they're also technical. They are also crafty. They are also creative-minded players, right? I don't think we've stifled that. I think there's a massive issue with player development in uh, on the girls' side, right? We know the issues that exist within the girls' sport and the, the even more extreme pay-to-play model and the lack of just sort of uh, infrastructure that exists out there. That's that's maybe getting grandfathered in to other things around the world that, that already have the infrastructure on the, on, on the men's side and, and they're leveraging that, right? You're seeing a lot of the clubs in England and other places just using a lot of the infrastructure that exists to make sure that they're, they're doing things uh, the right way for, for the women. But at a youth level, it's a completely different conversation. I do think the, the, the playing field is leveled uh, in a lot of ways and it's going to take something different. But I do believe that we also have a, a platform in NWSL that is going to continue to give young players opportunities to develop and our next generations uh, are going to be okay. You know, I think they're going to be all, all right. Now, our current national team, who knows? The infrastructure, the changing of the guard, the changing of generations, I think that's going to continue to evolve because they're shifting away from a club-based national team type of thing to a national team, right? Where you play your club ball and then you have your national team stuff. And it needs to be merit-based. You need to have players that are hungry. You don't need to have players that are, you know, uh, I guess, sworn in through contract statuses. And 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 we're moving towards all of that. And I and I really like that um, for the future. We just got caught at the wrong time with some bad performances, and this team is out, right? Um, and and sometimes you need to get punched in the face like that to realize, as a coaching staff, where you were wrong, as a developmental nation, where you went wrong as a tactical system and, and how you're going to compete with the rest of the world where you went wrong to be humbled. And so all of, all of that is, is, is to say that I, I still like where we're going, but to think that like the only success is whether or not we win the world cup, this is a huge eye opener. You know, it is a game of margins now and there are teams that not necessarily are, are as good as us, but are, but are sure as hell going to make our lives miserable for 90 minutes. And you, yeah. Got- I, well, I jump in and say that, it feels like some of the response has been the sky is falling for the U.S. Women's National Team. And I think when you have this type of loss and this type of tournament, you have to reflect on what we could have done better to make sure that this doesn't happen. My concern is not about the Sweden game. I don't even care that we missed some penalties. That's that's It's unfortunate. That's part of it. And, and to what you're saying, to your point, there is. I feel like anytime we're entering into this now, as much as we're revered as the U.S. Women's National Team by a lot of the other programs, and it's already been Aslani came out from Sweden and uh, was talking with Tobin Heath about how much respect the U.S. Women's National Team should get globally for all the good things that they're doing to help grow the game and how that inspires other countries to want to do the same. Yeah, they've set a the standard. They've set uh, the standard, which yeah, has changed now, the world, now that they're the victims know? of the success. No question. Yeah. No question. I think the big issue for me was a lack of identity. I didn't know if Vlaku, Vlako knew what his best 11 was. And it seemed like he unlocked it in the round of 16 where he needed somebody next to Andy Sullivan. He needed to play a double six. And, and all of a sudden that unlocked things. You got Lindsey Horan a little bit closer, a little higher up the field. And that seemed to unlock some things. And, and that looked good. And we, we looked like we played well. We were up for the fight and all the other things that we're known for. And it was unfortunate we lost. The fact that and on defense, I actually, we, we got to talk about it. I think Vlaco is a very good defensive coach, which makes me think he might be a better assistant coach than he is a head coach. Because from what I hear personality-wise, he tries to be friends with all the players. And, and I think there's an element that you can have of that, but I still feel like you have to be a coach in tough moments and not everybody's buddy. 
-hmm. And that might have worked against them in terms of man management, woman management, player management. And so there's probably a lot to dissect here. I don't think Vlaco's the guy moving forward. After the Olympics, I was ready to move on from Vlaco because it just looked like he didn't have what we needed. So I'm a little disappointed in that. But we didn't score a goal. So defensively, I should, I should go back. Defensively, we gave up two shots on goal in four games. Two shots on goal in four games is insane. That is doing it on that side of the ball. We only gave up one goal. But we didn't score either. And we weren't consistently dangerous. And when I look at that front three, you have an absolute legend in Alex Morgan, who is one of our most clutch players in history. You have Sophia Smith, who is coming in as red hot as you can and tearing up NWSL. And Trinity Rodman, who is undeniable in her talent. And, and we saw that in Sweden, against Sweden in particular. But we couldn't score. And, and that frustrated me, and I'm sure everybody else watching, that, that we're so close. And, and I don't know if there was enough courage in terms of making changes. Because I think when Sophia Smith went to the nine, when Alex Morgan came out against Sweden, you saw her come alive in a different way. And if it's that evident, what are you seeing in training? I know it'd be impossible to drop Alex Morgan, or at least feel like it'd be impossible to drop Alex Morgan. I was asking for her to drop into the 10 spot. but And you could you could have made it all work. I, I just, I questioned Vlaco. I, I assume he's going to be done here pretty soon. I assume they're going to announce it. And I wonder who, and I guess this is the big question for everybody, and this will be our final thought as we talk about this, Heath. What kind of coach do we need stylistically philosophically to come in and take this team back to where it can go. I, I know you're going to have to graduate some of the players, yeah. Megan, most likely Perfect. Julie Ertz, Alex Morgan. I assume Alex Morgan. I mean, the Olympics are only one year away, so maybe Alex and others might be holding on to do that before they announce their retirement. But there are other younger players that I think are ready to take on responsibility. And so I wonder what you think, what kind of coach should we be looking for? And, and and I don't know if you know any names. I mean, Serena Wiegman, who coaches England, would be my top choice. She's an amazing coach, but I don't think she's going to come. And I don't know if we'd be willing to pay her the money that she would deserve. So, yeah, what are your thoughts on that as our final thought? Yeah, I, I think for me, it, it's almost the perfect uh, storm that we saw in 2018. Not Obviously, not the magnitude of the failure, but for the women's standard of uh, that they've set as the world champions, certainly feels like that. To be able to push out the old guard and move a whole new generation in and use this window to, to to really empower the next gen who maybe they feel welcomed. Maybe they don't. I don't know. I'm not in, in those circles um, of those uh, that are going to leave this world cup with a chip on the shoulder because they didn't play enough or they didn't get opportunities or whatever. It's just a good chance to be able to go younger and, and really empower that next generation to be the ones that are going to be like, yeah, you want to dance, you want to sing, you want to whatever, you want to be big, bold personalities, then go and do it and prove it on the field, right? As, as, as the next generation of superstars, because the U.S. women's national team produces global superstars. And now it's up for the next ones to push out the old generation and, and really prove themselves. In terms of coaching, you know, it's tough to say. We have a lot of technical players, and I would love to see a little bit more of that rolled into the system versus just like steamrolling teams. Um, and that's not to say there isn't tactics and there isn't tech technique. But again, when I see the patterns of play and the rhythm of some of these other teams at the World Cup uh, and this one, I was like, man, in, out, out the other side, 20, 30 passes combining, you know, where the next ball is going to be, the technique of a player being able to break free and, and change a game on their own, like those types of things. We have that quality of player. But now it has to come like the tactics and the style of, of, of play that can that can bring out the most of those players. Yeah, we lacked identity. That was no. I, I just didn't know what to expect, like which version of the U.S. is going to show up. And when I see that the Spains and Japans and I know that that Spain took a beating from Japan, but but they still have an identity and maybe they are a little bit too true to that. And, and you do have to be tactically flexible right you have to be able to adapt to what's happening in 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 game we, we see this from the u.s men as well we want them to be able to solve problems in game without having their hands held or or and, and not to say our players aren't capable of it or they're not trying mm -hmm. but it just doesn't always feel like it's coming off the way that we want so i think vlaco has to go um i'm I agree. probably not alone in that and i look forward to seeing who u.s soccer hires another big opportunity here for for Cindy Parlow and Cindy Parlow Cohn and uh, Matt Crocker <laughs> as they uh, look to reshape U.S. soccer on both sides. Uh, I mean, <laughs> based on them rehiring Greg Berhalter, I guess we could all expect yeah. Jill Ellis to come yeah. back at some point. I bet they're all saying, Woo, isn't this fun that we signed up for? 
<laughs> yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. All right, that's the show. And Soccer We Trust is done for today. We appreciate your support as always. We'll be back with you on Thursday to break it all down. And we're going to start to get to preview some big games as the leagues start to kick back in in Europe. And obviously, we'll have more Leagues Cup news. So it should be a lot of fun. So on behalf of Producer Des, Producer Alex, I guess Charlie, Chuck Wagon, Davies, Hollywood Heath, and myself, and Mac Trash Pack, Cam. he gave us a he gave us a compliment, Chris Mack. Yes, and Chris yeah. Mackey, thank you, Mac Pack, for uh, hanging out with us and everybody else in the Trust Fund who's catching this live. We appreciate you, and we'll see you in a couple days. Have a good one. Later.